He never understood celebrity. Uh, he never sought it, and he didn't want it in any way at all. It was just a complete mystery to him why people wanted to see him. He was an artist who had got sidetracked halfway through his life into playing into music, which he'd always enjoyed as a hobby, and then came back to art, and he, could see, he thought he was the same as everybody else. He didn't see anything special about himself. Look out! The lever! Get away from that lever! You'll blow us all to atoms! Welcome everyone to That Record Got Me High. This is Rob Elba, and it's great to have you guys here again. Another week, another show, because that's just that's how I roll. Uh, back in Florida, as you guys know, and I have a guest. I'm excited because this is get you know some guests. I like schedule them to be on, and they're on, and then I don't hear from them until they're on, you know. But then some guests, you know, they they will check in, they'll say, hey, you know, what about this? Or I've been thinking about it, and that's good. I appreciate that because it shows that they're thinking about it. And uh, and that they're prepared, or as we discussed, I just discussed briefly with our guests, over prepared perhaps, but you know that's fine. So uh, without further ado, I'd like to welcome all the way from Berkeley, California, Corey Debrawa. Welcome to the show, Corey. Thank you, Rob. It's uh, it's great to be on the show. You're you have some in, in information. You have this a uh, day gig that's a uh, tech day gig thing, which is probably that's why you are where you are, right in Berkeley, California. <laughs> But uh, it does more convenient. Yes. Yes. For sure. But you're a journalist. You're a music journalist for two decades plus, right? Two plus decades with more than a thousand bylines in publications like Rolling Stone and Paste and No Depression and GQ. So you were the real deal writing about uh, music, right? Writing about music, uh, doing a lot of uh, interviews with musicians, think pieces. I mean, you name it, uh, you know. Stylistically or genre-wise, I kind of covered the waterfront. So, uh, oh, okay. yeah, it's fun to actually be talking about this uh, and a, a record that I love so much. For All sure. right. Well, now that we're uh, that you brought it up, what is the record that you love so much that you brought to talk about? The record is Sid Barrett's The Madcap Last from 1970. Yeah. And uh, this, honestly, once again, uh, a record, you bring in a record that I've, that I've always heard about and maybe heard a little here and there but never i never had never dug in myself so i of course had my own preconceived notions about it what it is and uh and and you were i mean you were quick to tell me right away that it's not that it's not maybe what a lot of people think it is which is just some recordings by this guy that was Losing it, losing his mind, and last ditch effort to get some stuff on tape, and it's just basically the sound of someone, you know, uh, losing their mind. But it's uh, if you take all of that out, which it's kind of hard to do when you, when you talk about something like this. But it's still, it's just a really, it's a really great record with some really great songs and uh, performances on it, right? It is. I mean, you know, I think the received wisdom, like you're saying, is that it's, you know, the uh, the soundtrack to somebody's mental disintegration. You know, there's a lot of yeah. myth make uh, attached to this. And, you know, I, I think we'll, we'll get into this, but I think it's a record that could be better. Uh, I heard your clash Sandinista podcast and sort of the imagined better version of Sandinista, which turned out to be a one record thing, not a three record thing. 
But the the Sid record has a couple of songs on there. There were a lot of producers involved in this record, including his former bandmates uh, in the Pink Floyd. And they probably had their own reasons, some of them having to do with guilt or friendship, some of them having to do with protecting their own reputation as to why they were involved. Right. And uh, I've kind of imagined a better version of the record that would disinclude three songs, which we'll talk about and we'll include two that, you know, we probably won't listen to, but we can, we can chat about because ah, okay. uh, I think it's, it's a, it's a terrific document. There are lots of stories that are eh, kind of only vaguely true or half, true about it but as a precursor to post-punk to you know the music of robin hitchcock much later to the whole k records catalog uh, you can definitely say that sid was way 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 ahead of his time and you hear some of that on the record yeah yeah and sort of i mean we actually did we did a paper at the gates of dawn, of dawn with roger miller and uh it's it's obvious that Pink Floyd wouldn't have been the same Pink Floyd had he stayed with them, and because he was the the, the main songwriter then, and you know he had his own he had his own ideas and and his own way of uh, of writing, and then after he was slowly phased out of the band, they obviously went in a different direction. But it's weird also because they they both sort of it's almost like they sort of remained obsessed with each other in a way some of these songs you feel like he's still you know he can't get over them the fact that they left him in the band and their records after this it's almost like they can't let go of Sid either oh my god Rob I'm so glad you brought that up so many of these songs on this record are clearly they're almost like breakup songs yes you know, they're yeah like right see who can't get over you know a long lost love in fact uh the three songs that I don't particularly love on this record are all sort of like a lost love trio. And to your point, I mean, my God, just go through the entire Floyd catalog from, you know, uh, things like Echoes, uh, the metal album that were clearly, you know, experiments that were trying to sound like Sid to pretty much all of Dark Side of the Moon. Right. Uh, the, the Wish You Were Here album, which, you know, clearly even quotes some of the lyrics from this record that we're about to listen to on down to the wall which was, you know, really Roger Waters sort of imagining a Venn uh, diagram, I guess, of like his rotten uh, rock experience and Sid's rotten rock experience. Like, you know, they they just never got off topic again. Right, ever. right. <laughs> yeah, and it, and and also, I, I do have to say, although I, I also, um, uh, coming into this uh, preconceived, I, I, I usually have a problem with uh, things like uh, Daniel Johnston record. Sometimes when people, I feel like when people are getting exploited in a way you know exploited for their they obviously have whatever problems mental uh uh mental issues and and sometimes it's a fine line i guess because they have a right to express themselves but it's also hard not to sometimes feel like in a way they're being exploited and and you had even brought up and we'll obviously bring it up when we get there it almost feels like the way they the, the specific takes of songs they included on here almost feels like that in a way like they're kind of playing up the fact that oh this is mad sid in the studio and you know i totally agree with that take uh you know i i I think i might have told you that to me it felt like mental health tourism you know like people who were dipping their toes in the water of like what it would be like to be you know kind of vaguely off your rocker or slightly crazy and there there is certainly something very manipulative about the process of capturing that and something very exploitative 
uh, about you know sort of trotting it out yeah, as no, though exactly. I mean, it were a subgenre unto itself. You mentioned Daniel Johnston for sure. Uh, you know, there there are loads of other people. Um, yeah, Skip. You know, we did a, a, a Skip Spence record. We did that uh, sort of the same idea. He you know basically recorded yeah. it right. He was in a mental institution for a while, and then he recorded it like right when he got out of it. That's right. You know, Wesley Willis. I mean, you can kind yes, of go down the yes, list yeah. of people that you just you look back on it and you kind of say, look, you know, we know so much today about mental health and self care and. Uh, you know, we've really started a much more sophisticated conversation with, you know, Simone Biles. I mean, I, I think about people in the world of entertainment, whether it's Simone Biles or Britney, or, uh, Britney Spears, I mean. And, uh, you know, you, you think about how we create space for those people to understand the depth of the issues that they're faced with and how they're reconciling, you know, how they're uh, addressing those things uh, in the context of their own art or their own pursuit. And it just makes you wonder, Robert, I wonder about it, you know, like, would this record have even come out uh, if we knew then what we know today right, about right. mental health? And, and I don't know that I have the answer to that, but I, I think it's a question worth asking. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Because maybe he would have uh, actually maybe, you know, they would have gotten him, you know, help. Maybe he would have gotten better help. But obviously some of it was uh, himself medicating as well. I mean, the LSD, For the sure. amount of LSD he took didn't help, I'm sure, <laughs> you know. And I think the thing that people maybe mistake about this record, certainly in the research that I did about it, you know, I think they kind of feel like, you know, oh, Sid must be dosing every day or, you know, maybe this is like the the end of the line for him having dosed so often. And really the, the problem drug for Sid after he left the Pink Floyd in, in 1967, 68 uh, was Mandrax, which is what oh, it was right. called in the Ukraine, but it's Quaaludes, right? And yeah. certainly a lot of the behavioral issues that he was simultaneously dealing with, you know, all of his friends say not a violent person, kind of this lovely, whimsical, charming guy who just like the light went dim. Right. He had some violence issues uh, with, with, you know, what we would call domestic disputes now, probably charitably and things that in, on your podcast you've called problematic that are true about this record too, in terms of Sid's behavior, which was really the result of, you know, his continued drug intake, probably in part, to deal with the anger or the pain that he felt having been kicked out of his own band. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. Which is, uh, that, that in itself is, is, is like such a heavy thing and, and it weighs on, weighs on everything. It's almost like, it's like I said, you, it, it's almost hard to take it as just its own thing and listen to the songs and appreciate them for what they are and, and how great they are and how great he was because you, you can't uh, disassociate the other, uh, baggage that comes with it. And, um, uh, David, Gil there's a quote from, uh, David, uh, Gilmore that says, perhaps we were trying to sh show what Sid was really like. But perhaps we were trying to punish him as well. So, he's, right. he, he, which was a, which is a real honest thing of him to say, because they probably, you know, I'm sure the thing is, it, it's real easy to set them up as villains, as like the villains. But any as anyone who's played in bands as I have, if you're in a band with someone that's like out of control and is a pain in the ass, I mean, yeah, you, you know, you could sort of, I mean, I feel like at the end of the day, they were, especially Roger Waters was friends i mean these 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 guys were like friends they were like childhood friends and and they all i'm sure there was a love for each other 
but it was the fact that they couldn't, you know, they realized they just couldn't work with him. Uh, and, you know, so I'm sure there's a little bit of, of everything in there. I'm sure, I, I think Roger Waters is, uh, it seems like he could be a, a dick and kind of an asshole anyway, but. Uh. Yeah, completely. <laughs> I, I think, you know, given what happened to the Floyd later, which was that that band dissolved in a bunch of acrimony between, yes. you know, Gilmore, Gilmore and Waters. I mean, I guess maybe the easy way to put this is, is like, hey, you know, Gilmore was the good cop and Roger was the bad cop, which I just think is too simplistic of a way to look at it. Of I think, course, you know, yeah. Gilmore for sure had his own reasons for wanting uh, Sid to look like he'd spun off the deep end, right? And that, you know, hey, I, I've known this guy since he was 14. We went to comprehensive school together. I replaced him in his own band. Right, you know, for, right, right. For, a good year between the time when he left the Floyd and he started recording this record, he got in a mini with the tour schedule for the Floyd and followed them to gigs and would sit in the front row and glare at Gilmore from yes. the front row. Like <laughs> you've taken my place, which I mean, is, is like, how painful is that? So I'm sure that uh, for Gilmore, you know, he must've had really mixed feelings, which is why of the members of that band, like he's the one that made sure that, uh, Sid got his royalties. He was the you know producer of both of his solo records. Right, right. He lived, yeah. he lived literally within viewing distance of his flat in London. Like they were in the same part of of London. So there's a weird caretaking thing that I think comes into play here that probably just plays on Gilmore's guilt. Frankly, uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's uh, yeah. That that sounds like you're you're spot on with all that. And here's one. Before we get into the actual record and start listening, one thing I'm curious: how does how does how do you how does a Corey DeBrower uh, get into this record so much and discover? Because obviously you're not the only one. A lot of this is a record that over time has uh, a lot of people are fans, and some people say it's their favorite record. And and uh, you know they they really love this record for a lot of reasons. But how how did you uh, first come to this record? Yeah, uh, so I, like you, sounded like you were way more successful at it. I was in some bands, like college-era bands in the 80s. And, um, you know, the Pink Floyd that I knew was, like, the one that my uh, my mom's sister, my aunt, had, you know, like, Dark Side or, uh, you know, Wish You Were Here right, or right, even yeah. Adam, like, around her house. So I didn't know anything about, I, mean, I didn't even know who Sid was. Right. I didn't even know that there was like a, a pre-Dark Side Pink Floyd. Um and so when I was in college, a friend of mine in the dorms who was sort of hovering in the orbit of the band that I was in introduced me to uh, Robin Hitchcock and the Soft Boys. You know, REM was already an REM fan. And I became aware just by reading interviews with uh, Robin and, and Stipe and people like that, how big of fans they were of Sid's music and particularly, you know, the Piper album and his solo records. And so I, I kind of came to it backward. You know, oh, I, had okay, to be, right. I had to be told by people that it was something worth listening to. And if I'm being totally honest, Rob, like the first spin of this record, maybe it's like this for a lot of people, like it kind of threw me off a little bit. Right, you know, that right. Especially 
you know, the songs where he's struggling to get a clean take and, you know, he's making mistakes. You can hear him flipping lyric sheets. You can hear him starting over in the middle of the song. Like that, I, I'd never heard that before. I, I, you know, I felt like, wow, that's how punk rock of him, you right. know, in 1930, <laughs> doing that without knowing any of the, you know, attendant backstory or problems or, or any of that. So, um, so I kind of came to it backward, but I really, uh, like a lot of fans, I think, got obsessive about the songwriting and, you know, Sid's skill with wordplay, which yes, is Yes, yeah, that, that's un- it. Because, yeah, like I said, this was the first time I really sat down and listened to it. And at first, I probably had the same reaction, like, oh, this is weird. But then as you, as you listen to it more, you realize, wow, he has his own way of writing and the way he puts chords together and the way he, like, um, phrases things and, and his his words he uses. And you sort of get brought into his whole world eventually and you listen to the song and it all starts to make, like, more sense, right? Because it's not it, it's not a normal what, what you're used to, to hearing. No, exactly. I mean, it's just, it's it's one of these things where you start to realize that there is this, incredible topographic map of the influences of Sid Barrett, right? There's nursery rhymes, there's, you know, poetry like James Joyce, like classic poetry, there's adventure stories, like the kind that you, I don't know, Lord of the Rings, maybe that qualifies as an adventure story, right. but you know, there's one of the one of the songs is named after like a very key part of the Two Towers, part of that book, you know, there's childhood nostalgia, there's like wind in the willows kind of stuff. And then the music, right? Like you're sort of like, where did this crazy ass Mr. Potato Head come from, right? There's Bo Diddley, there's English Music Hall, there's right. Hendrix R experimentation, and, and sometimes all in the same song. Right. You know, like that that's the craziest part about it is I just never heard anybody who was so creative and imaginative that they could somehow put all of those things together and come up with something memorable and you know classic which i would argue this record is yeah i i agree i agree and uh, all right let's get into it let's listen to the first song it starts out very very quiet and it sort of eases you into it uh let's listen to the first song terrapin i really love you and i mean you the star above you crystal blue well There you are. <laughs> uh, well, I think one of the, Rob, that people think about this record, and look, it is true, is that like if you go back to your podcast with Roger about the Piper album, like it was just such a tornado of sound that people had never heard before, right? So right. when you, you listen to a song like Terrapin, the first reaction you have is like, 
oh, this is like Sid naked. You know, this is super stripped down and like an acoustic record. But the interesting thing is, is that it's actually what you heard just there is not acoustic guitar. It is an unamplified guitar. This was his his Telecaster. Oh, okay. Um, and they close mic'd it, right? So they they stuck these mics. It was recorded in Abbey Road. So that's the other thing. People are like, oh, lo-fi. You know, this is fully the precursor to like Lou Barlow and all the lo-fi right. records. Well, this this record was made at Abbey Road Studio 3. So, I mean, it had like proper production and it's in a big room. And this is somebody sticking a mic very close to an unamplified guitar and compressing the hell out of it. And then doing some interesting things that I wouldn't care till later with like Elliot Smith, like, his vocals are doubled. So it's literally sing, Sid singing and then doing another take, singing the exact same lyrics at the same pitch to get that sort of slightly off chorus right. effect that you right. hear there. Um, so, you know, I think for people to think like, oh, it's a folk record. Uh, it's no, not no. really a folk record. Yeah, yeah, right from the start. It, it's it's funny you said that because I was wondering because you could hear, yeah, you hear the the actual, his his pick scraping against the strings and I guess because yeah. it is, because it's a Telecaster just close mic and it doesn't, uh, yeah, it, it definitely doesn't sound like a folk record, but uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's great. I guess Terrapin is a turtle, is a species of turtle. So maybe That's in right. aquatic love, he's got a lot of aquatic imagery in there. But again, a, a, a lot of these on the surface are like, love songs whimsical love songs but who knows what's going on you know un <laughs> underneath yeah i mean i don't know for me like you could go entire parts of an artist's catalog and not hear a line as great as my hair's on end about you yeah yeah that right. is, <laughs> that is just, that's an amazing line and when you when you hear Sid, like it's instructive for me to think of Sid as maybe like an art school guy first, as were a lot of guitarists back then. You oh, know, yeah, yeah, for sure. Studying design or painting. And so, you know, I think Sid, at least what I read, tells me that he had a condition called synesthesia, which is where you think that sounds are colors. Uh, we talked the, about that before on the show. I didn't realize they said uh, he had that too. So, you know, when he's talking about like crystal blue or, you know, things of that nature, I mean, yeah, maybe if you took acid enough times, you would see somebody's aura as crystal blue. But I think for the most part, he's just talking about like sounds in his head rendered as colors and sort of mashing those things up. And so I, I color comes up a lot on this record. And yeah. I, I always think of, Sid maybe um, not not battling the condition, almost maybe more like giving into it. Like, okay, hey, welcome to my multicolor 64 crayon box world. Right, you know? exactly. All right, so now we get some uh, classic 60s. Some of this stuff definitely, well, we didn't, I don't know, did we mention it was uh, 1960? It was recorded 1968, right pretty much when he left uh, Pink Floyd, uh, but not released here until later, right, in the U.S.? Yeah, I think maybe in 73 or 74 that there was like a double record you right know, that they, yeah, they, they finally uh released it uh here but um yeah yeah all right let's listen to the second song no good trying it's no good trying to place your hand where i can't see because i understand that you're different from me yes i can tell you can't be what you pretend And you're rocking backwards And you're rocking towards the red and yellow mane Of a stallion horse 
so on this one, Corey, it's not hard to imagine him singing this to Pink Floyd, right? When, when <laughs> totally. he's saying, it's no good trying to place your hand where I can't see because I understand that you're di- different from me. Yes, I can tell that you can't be what you uh, pretend. Uh, you know, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I, sometimes I wonder if like I'm reading into it too much, but I don't know. No, I, I agree with you, Rob. I actually, I think a lot of Sid's songs create the intentional dual reading, right? Like you can kind of look at it simplistically. Like I look, he, he takes some of these lyrics wholesale from like nursery rhymes. So like Alice in Wonderland is where at least some of these lyrics are quoted from. There's no use trying. One can't believe impossible things. Oh, that's what okay. Alice. That's what Alice says to the Queen, and so like you see his influences, and you're sort of like, oh, that's vaguely charming, right? Like you know, he's he's kind of I don't know, uh, waxing somewhat nostalgic for childhood, or you know, kind of taking that in. Right. You can also read it as like a direct, uh, like statement at Roger Waters. You know, like there's no good trying keeping up with me. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. And, and 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 it's so funny. I can't help but feel that deep down in his heart, Roger Waters knew because he said before he said Sid was basically a, a genius. And I don't think a lot of people throw that around like a musical genius. But I don't know. A lot of this is very just like it's kind of genius. And I think maybe he he probably felt that and he probably felt like uh, that he maybe was a, a pretender. Like he says that, that that you can't be what you pretend, like even though as 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 artsy as he wanted to be, he he couldn't be Sid. I complete well. I mean, one maybe this is me reading something into it, but like when he talks about you're rocking backward, like you kicked me out of the band, and you're rocking the red and yellow mane of a stallion horse. Your music is supposed to be psychedelic, but you're actually more of a carousel than like the oh, lead horse. Oh, that's great. <laughs> no. I love it. So I'm I, saying, I'm saying yes. I'm saying 100 percent yes. I love that. Okay, there you go. We'll we'll, we'll bag that. We'll bag, bag it. it uh, yep. Yeah. <laughs> you heard it here, Bergs. Corey DeBrow. <laughs> um, all right. So now we get a, a very another fun whimsical uh, love song. Uh, let's listen to a little bit of "Love You." Honey, love you, honey, little honey, funny, sunny morning, love you, more funny, love in the skyline, baby, ice cream, excuse me, I seen you looking good the other evening, oh, you dig it, had to smile just an hour or so, are we in love like I think we be, it ain't a long rhyme, it took ages to think, I think I'll hurl it in the water, baby. Honey, love you, honey, little honey, funny, sunny morning, love you, more funny, love in the skyline, baby. Ice cream, excuse me, I seen you looking good the other evening. So, in a way, like an old-fashioned British musical song, but the lyrics, I love when he says about the rhyme, about it not being a long rhyme. Yeah. <laughs> it ain't a long rhyme. It took ages to think. I think I'll hurl it in the water, baby. <laughs> I just love it, that. I mean, look, again, back to the point about myth making. I mean, how out of it can you be if people assume that Sid was out of it? How out of it can you be and come up with that kind of internal rhyme or something like ice cream? Excuse me. I seen you looking good the other evening. I mean, these are tongue twisters. It takes right, a right, bit. Right. Yeah. And, you know, when I when I hear this, I, I think of three things. I think of like 
the band is clearly struggling to keep up with them, right? Like there, it's the soft machine that you hear. It's Robert Wyatt. Yeah, kind of that's right. And he's behind the beat in part because Sid never demoed the songs <laughs> before they went in the studio. So the band had never heard this before. And literally they were like, hey, Sid, what key is this in? And Sid would just sort of laugh, you know, like, oh, right. You know, so yes. they had to figure out the key. They, Keep Sid up, kind right? Of <laughs> yeah, he struggled with meter too, you know, like it wasn't like a very straightforward 4-4 four, four song. He's sort of in and out of meter and and you can hear that. So um, so I, I think it's interesting, right? Like he's definitely together enough to write lyrics that are just super clever and interesting. He's essentially kind of demoing the song on the fly, kind of daring the group to keep up with them. And then I hear it and I'm like, oh, that's where Damon Albarn, like he must have gone through in Blur this period where he was, li- you know, Arnold oh, saying, right, oh. right. <laughs> yes. He was listening to this record and be like, oh, right, between this and Ray Davies, like I have an entire record now. I can go do Park Life, like it's done. Just uh, and also Robin Hitchcock. I mean, duh. I'm, I'm I'm a big Robin Hitchcock fan, but then yeah, as I listen to this, I'm thinking, oh, okay, I see. You know, you yeah. you uh, you can't help but draw a line. And like this next one here, No Man's Land. Some of his lyrics maybe uh, maybe don't seem as much on paper, but his the way he phrases and his uh, delivery. That's why it's like mind blowing to me that a lot of this he's doing, you know, not, without a lot of rehearsal, he's just performing it. But man, the way he just throws this stuff out here. Uh, let's listen to this next one. Let's listen to a little bit of No Man's Land. You would hold your head out high. You even try You would hold another hand Oh, understand They even see me under cold We under all, we awful, awful crawl To hear my heart Don't see me cry just searching, you even try I can make you smile If it's there, will you go there too? When I live, I die They even see me under cold We under all, we awful, awful crawl Because of you that's the point I was making, which I was trying to make, that I probably didn't make that well, that he's not just singing his words. He's not just like like 
blurting out his words. His melodies are are really good and they're very well thought out and they just sort of make everything so strangely melodic, you know, and and uh, musical. Yeah, this this almost feels like proto grunge to me or like post punk or something. You know, like he's he's so far ahead. He it turns out he and Hendrix were like two of four people in the world that had this um, pedal called an Octavia. And the Octavia sort of created what they call the third sound, right? Where it would pair like a note at one uh, octave with a note at the other and create this third sound. And so you can kind of hear something really experimental going on with the guitars on this song. Yeah. And then, you know, when I think about the lyrics, right? Like No Man's Land, what is No Man's Land? Well, it's the place in between the two armies on a battlefield that you don't go because you could die there, right? And I always think that, uh, you know, Roger Waters' father died at Anzio. So this guy that he's known since they were single digit years old, you know, they've had a lot of uh, conversations probably over the years about what it means to lose a parent and, you know, the life that you would be trying to live uh, in the wake of that. And, you know, what? so when I see him write a lyric or try to sing it like, we awful, awful crawl. What are you doing in no man's land? You're literally on your hands and knees, on your belly, crawling, trying not to get killed. Right. <laughs> <Basically>. <laughs> so so I, I wonder often if this is, I don't think it's as straightforward as Sid making a war analogy, you know, or sort of talking about a war. I think this is, you know, literally... Uh, there's a, a portion of the song, Rob, at the end where it's mumbled. You I, can't was gonna really... ask, I was going to ask you if you had any idea what's going on. Uh, at the end. Yeah, I, I think it's one of those happy accidents in the studio where I think that, you know, Sid was sort of caught rehearsing the lyrics uh, on tape and they liked the sound of it and they right. just left it there. But, you know, he, he talks and, and at one point I had to look this up. Gracie do her song, Heavily Spaced, All the Pink Shine on War Explodes from Underneath. And I do wonder if this is sort of like his version or, or sort of a cloaked way of talking about like the end of his era in the band. You know, like it, he saw it as sort of this battle between maybe himself, what was left of his mind at that point, and the band who clearly had reached the end of the road with them. Right, right. This episode of That Record Got Me High podcast is brought to you by our patrons at Patreon. What is Patreon? Well, I've only been telling you about it for the past three years, but Patreon is a platform that allows you to support artists and creators that you love. How do you become a patron? Well, I also mentioned this too. You go to patreon.com forward slash TRGMH or just go to patreon.com and search for That Record Got Me High podcast and become a patron of the show. It's fun. It's, well, I don't know how fun it is, really, but uh, it really helps out, and we appreciate you, and we have special patron-curated episodes, and we send out newsletters, and uh, it is fun. Let's, I'm just going to go on record as saying it's kind of fun. Go to patreon.com forward slash TRGMH and become a patron today. All right. Well, speaking of the band, this the next one, Dark Lobe. I, I feel like the songs that were produced by David Gilmore, either David Gilmore and David Gilmore and Roger Waters. I, as you were saying before, in this song, he's definitely playing with the time signature a little, and I almost feel like he's doing it. He's he's very self aware when he's doing it, and it almost feels a little. I don't know. 
vindictive to me. Like he's doing it on purpose <laughs> that he's playing it. Uh, but and I also this next one, I definitely feel like he's singing to them and to and to everyone that's sort of he feels like has sort of left him behind in a way. Uh, let's listen to a little bit of Dark Globe. Oh, where are you now? Pussy willow that smiled on this leaf When I was alone You promised a stone from your heart My head kissed the ground I was half the way down Treading the sand Please Please lift a hand I'm only a person Uh, that part, can't you just picture him like singing that to them? Won't you miss me? Wouldn't you miss me at all? I mean, oh my God, that's like, uh, uh, yeah, it's like uh, very powerful. Can you can you imagine Gilmore and Waters at the board? It only took two takes to get that song. Two takes. Right, right. So people who sort of want to think like, you know, he's... Uh, He's lost it. You know, this this is disintegration on tape. I mean, he was very together here. And there's there's just some interesting little tidbits that sit beneath the surface of this song for me. I mean, it's clearly his response to being kicked out of his own band, like for sure. Right. Um, And, you know, when I was talking before about like his sort of mashup of influences, you know, uh, Tolkien was definitely one of those like the Lord of the Rings would have featured in his reading list for sure. And, you know, the dark globe uh, was, was a stone, right? This was, it was a seeing stone. And so this was uh, in the two towers where uh, Gandalf, the wizard had position of, uh, he had possession of this seeing stone and uh, the dark Lord Soren (laughs) understands that the way to get to the traveling party is to come through the seeing stone. And so it's, Ah. it's strange to me that like, what Sid has done is he's sort of created this metaphor, you know, like I could look into the scene stone and, and it almost killed me like that. That was my soul that was imperiled there in, in the Tolkien story. Gandalf has to intervene to keep one of the uh, hobbits from basically, you know, destroying himself, looking into the stone. And I I've wondered often if this is Sid both sort of, you know, very pointedly going at his bandmates, but also saying like, look, I looked into the dark heart of this like rock star thing and it almost killed me. I mean, he was very happy to be rid of the rock star clothes and the affects of that lifestyle. I mean, he, the affectations of that lifestyle, he was, he was Sid the solo artist and he was running in the other direction, like getting rid of possessions and identity as, as fast as he could run away from it. Wow. Okay. Wow. That, that's a lot of deep in, insight you brought in that, that I never, I didn't, I didn't know any about that. Cause I'm not, a, I never read the Tolkien. It sounds like you're a, a fan of all that as well. Right. I, I certainly, I mean, I haven't read it in years and years, but uh, you know, when you're, I guess in high school, <laughs> I know every, you know, there was certain group of kids that all read that and I just didn't, I, I wasn't in that group. I, I was reading uh, Vonnegut, like uh, Kurt Vonnegut and stuff like that, but just not that. I don't know. I just, the uh, fantasy stuff uh, just missed me. The other perhaps more earthy thing about this song, um, if you have the record and you turn the record over, the, the album itself, the original one uh, from 1970, 
you you notice a nude woman on uh, a chair on the back uh, album cover. Oh yeah, that's right. And, and, and who is that? <laughs> that is a, a woman who went by the name Iggy the Eskimo. Now her real her real name was not Iggy the Eskimo. Her real name was Evelyn Rose. She was kind of a scenester from like the UFO club and, you know, kind of the underground uh, of London from like, you know, the 67, 68, 69. And she had moved in uh, with Sid at that point. I don't think the relationship lasted that long, but um, he, he speaks specifically in this song uh, about an Eskimo chain. And I think he's also wrestling in his mind with just relationships, period. You know, like there, this person kind of wandered into my flat you know, I'm living a, a rather sparse lifestyle. I don't know how much I have to offer this person. And she sort of attached herself to me. So I think this is in some ways, Sid kind of wrestling with like the old rock star Sid who did the groupie thing and then kind of being like, eh, I don't think that's where I'm going. I don't right. think that's what I want anymore. Oh, nice. All right. So let's this next one. I have, I have some thoughts on this next one for sure, but let's listen to it first. Let's listen to a little bit of here I go. This is a story about a girl that I knew She didn't like my songs and that made me feel blue She said a big band is far better than you She don't rock and roll She don't like it, she don't do the stroll Well, she don't do it right Well, everything's wrong and my patience was gone When I woke one morning and remembered this song kind of catchy I hope that she will talk to me now and even allow me to hold her hand and forget that old band I strolled around to her pad her light was off and that's bad her sister said that my girl was gone. But come inside, boy, and play, play, play. <laughs> All right, so song. for a second, let's step aside. We'll come back to the fact that he's saying that this is a story about a girl that I knew. She didn't like my songs, and that made me feel blue. She said a big band is far better than you. Ugh. Yeah. But... I, you know what the song, you know what I heard right away and it reminded me of, and I'm thinking, it sounds like Lou Reed's um, A Good Night Ladies uh, on Transformer. I mean, I mean, it's almost the same melody. I'm, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm calling it. Lou Reed heard this and loved this song and, and fashioned A Good Night Ladies from this. I, I'll take that uh, point. I think that's probably, there, there are two interesting things to me about this song. One is, is that, um, most of Sid's material was actually written, both Floyd and solo material, in one six-month kind of spasm. Right. You know, like in, uh, uh, I guess this would have been 67, uh, when he was writing, you know, Arnold Lane and Apples and Oranges and See Emily Play and all those singles. A lot of the material from this record and from Barrett, the one that came after it, was written in that same time frame. Or, or you know, he... Uh, we'll talk about Golden here in a second. That actually came from like when he was a, a school kid. Oh, right, uh, right. This this song was actually written at Abbey Road in the studio in front of the band. Ah. So <laughs> he, he had two guys from um, Humble Pie, Jerry Shirley and Willie Wilson. That was you know Steve Marriott's band after he had uh, 
left the small faces right. and they were they were friends they lived in the same part of london so he invited them to the studio and literally sid worked out the chords the words he made a couple of changes and boom they they just went to work and recorded it which to me is like that's pretty amazing i, I guess again it sort of goes some length of defeating this narrative that you know he was completely out of it and basically propped up uh, oh no! You know, this Biden. doesn't sound like yeah. This doesn't sound like someone who's who's crazy on his last legs, losing his mind. It sounds like someone who's really clever and smart, uh, you know, right? <laughs> maybe, oh yeah, he's, maybe he's a little too of, clever for his own good. That's right. Almost like you know, sort of crazy smart in a way where he, you know, he's having a wink at everybody and just not everybody is keeping up with the joke. Yes. The other yes. thing that reminds me of is just um, K Records. You know that like. Uh, Many years later, in the 90s, right? Here's this label in Olympia, Washington, where you have these very sparse pop bands. Yeah, like Twee. What do they call Like Twee or... (laughs) Exactly. So it's, you know, like guitar and drums, but no bass. Or like, you know, there's some element missing there. And I listen to this, I'm like, this is like a Beat Happening record from like 1995. You know, it sounds the same. That's great. Uh, All right, so now we flip it over. So did you have, did you get this record on vinyl? You had the vinyl of this record? I do. I'm I'm looking at it right now. Yes. Nice. All right. The uh, Iggy the Eskimo photo on the back. Yes. Uh, Yes. (laughs) So yeah, this next one, I guess, uh, was it a single? Did they release Octopus as a single? They did. This was the only single. Uh Aha. Well, let's listen to it. it. It is pretty catchy. I'll tell you. Let's listen to a little bit of Octopus. I love when he sort of changes. It's almost like there's a, a two different Sid singing that, you know, at different points. That's right. Or like he's talking to himself or yeah. something, you know? Like yes. He, All right. Now there's a line in there and this is something that you told me that blew my mind when he says the, the mad cat laughed at the man on the border. I think you did. Yeah. Did you tell me the, the, that's what he meant the title to be actually the mad cat laughed. I don't think the record actually had a proper title. And by this point, you know, Gilmore is in charge in the studio. So the, right. the backstory is that, you know, the the band's original management tried, a guy named Peter Jenner tried to record Sid, failed miserably. And this was sort of the last vestige of Sid doing like experimental, improvisational kinds of things. And then Sid kind of toured the country in his mini chasing Pink Floyd. He got checked into uh, an institution for a brief period of time. And then he came back, uh, then enters Malcolm Jones. Malcolm Jones is a part of the Harvest 
uh, label, uh, which is where Pink Floyd also is. And so Malcolm sort of wrangles him into Abbey Road and records essentially most of the first side of this record and then the last song on side two. Um, and then Sid uh, has a break and he ends up in Spain. It's a long story. I won't go into it. But he ends up in uh, Formentera and uh, and he he's with the Floyd. And he basically, I don't know if it's that Gilmore sort of sidles up to him or Sid kind of goes to his old school chum, but basically then Gilmore and Waters, who are quite busy with Pink Floyd, right? They're recording Umagama at this point. Right. Uh, and they're touring and doing dates, but they they go to Abbey Road and, and try to finish the record. And so here, here enters Gilmore, you know, into the picture to record this song that, you know, look, Sid knows it really well, right? I mean, he's uh, confident. He sounds, you know, very assured. Oh, yeah, he sings know. it great. I, 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 I love his vocals in the song. And just the whole, like, the, the arrangement of the song is terrific. Like, I just don't know that there's that much for Gilmore and Waters to do other than literally press record. And the, the lyrics are, are incredibly brilliant, right? Like, these are, they're, they're fairground rides uh, from right, Sid's right. childhood. You know, so the Dream Dragon, the Ghost Tower, Grasshoppers, uh, you know, the the song In Us Confide, you know, like he's he's imagining, oh, I'm I'm at a fairground, you know, I'm actually going through all of these different rides. And I, I, I've just wondered if this is his crazy allegory for the ups and downs of what it was like to be a member of Pink Floyd and be ah. briefly, you know, in the rock star juggernaut and then, you know, kind of like having the natural reaction that you would have even before social media of like, this is a bit much. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, all right. And now we get, uh, so you had mentioned this song, golden hair, actually the lyrics are lifted from, uh, James Joyce's poem, lean out of the window. And I guess it's something obviously that resonated with him when he was young. Right. Yeah. I mean, this was supposedly the first song Sid ever wrote, uh, as a teenager, you know, he was still going by the name Roger at that point. So the poem dates from, 1907. So you can kind of imagine uh, it's uh, it's I think it's called poem five. It's often called lean out your window. Right. Um, And, you know, published in a collection of James Joyce uh, poetry called chamber music. So it it almost begs to be put to music and you can kind of see Sid tackling this as sort of like, well, I was bored reading it in my literature class, but I'm really interested putting music to it. So I'll try that. Ah, okay, yeah, but it, and it's and it's and it's very haunting. I would say it's the most haunting uh, thing on the whole record. Listen, listen to a little yeah. bit of golden hair. Left my book. Yeah, really, 
Really pretty. And I guess uh, he was a romantic deep down, I would say, right? Oh, for sure. I mean, I, I think romantic poetry plays a big role in Sid's songwriting and probably just the, you know, the backlog of things that, uh, you know, as a student growing up in Cambridge, you know, a proper university town that he would have had a lot of exposure to. Right. And so this next one, Long Gone, is sort of like, I, I, I feel like maybe it's his version of a Mariner's Tale type thing. I don't know. I could be off base because the lyrics are kind of hard to decipher, but let's listen to a little bit of Long Gone. She was long gone, long, long gone. She was gone, gone, the bigger they come. The larger her hand tells no one understand why for so long she'd been gone. And I stood very still by the windowsill, and I wondered for those I love still. I cried in my mind where I stand behind the beauty of those in her eyes. So very dramatic. Very dramatic. Uh, I mean, it's interesting because this this is at the tail end of the recording of the Madcap Laughs. So they literally had, I think, two days in the studio in between uh, either gigs that Pink Floyd were playing without Sid at this point or other engagements that they had booked so they they were jamming songs out and Sid had come back from Spain uh, having written some songs while he was in Spain very uh, wistful kind of love lost kind of songs but I I think there's another way to read this which is um, the poet Rilke uh, Ronnie Maria Rilke was one of uh, Sid's favorite poets and there, there's a poem called the Panther uh, from the turn of the century of like 1903 or something like that where Rilke is in a zoo in Paris, and he's basically wrestling with the notion of losing your creative expression. In fact, Rilke, for many, many years, never wrote poetry. He was conscripted uh, into the German army, and uh, he didn't write poetry again until the 20s. And I think that Sid probably worried that given how prolific he had been in the Floyd, I mean, he was everything to that band. Uh, I think he was perhaps wrestling a little bit with, like, what if I dry up here? What if I lose inspiration? And I wonder uh, if he's making an analogy here. It's uh, a deep read. I might be very wrong about that, but I, I think that I, I will admit that I could be way off. But I, I just I think like a lot of creative people, you worry about where's the next idea going to come from. Right, right, right. Um, and then he just decided to uh, garden instead. Just to <laughs> his garden. That was good. That was okay. I mean, that was my best idea is what's happening with that sunflower out there. That's what I'm worried about. Exactly. All right, so now we take this one. Uh, this it could be a projection on my part, but I I read this. I mean, the the she in this song I see as being Pink Floyd, the she. But let's listen to she took a long cold look. She took a long cold look at me and smiled and gazed all over my arm. She loves to see me get down to ground. She hasn't time just to be with me. 
space between all she means to be To be extreme, just to be That's an interesting read. I mean, I, I love the lyric to be extreme just to be extreme. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that that's that is so insightful. And again, and you made this point before, you know, this is this is Sid having a bit of a wink at everyone, I think. Like I, you know, I kind of dare you to understand what I'm talking about here. And look, I'm I'm sure since it's part of this sort of love lost trio that he wrote and brought to the studio, and then Gilmore and Waters sort of hustled him through it. There's another take of this song that's out there in the world, not on this record, that's longer. And I'm pretty sure that what Gilmore and Waters were telling him was, time's a waste in here. We got we to gotta move pretty quickly. So this one's shorter. And at the very end, this is one of the first uh, tracks, Rob, I noticed this, where you hear the studio chatter. And Sid ends the take and he says, it's short. And you feel him protesting a little bit, right. you know, and so I wonder right. if your read isn't the right one, you know, that she took a long, cold look was sort of the Floyd taking a long, cold look at him like you're not really wanted anymore. And just the mere fact that he couldn't get that thought on tape without the Floyd stepping on it again. Right. Is just yeah. another example. Yeah. Uh, all right. So again, uh, on this next one, again, I, I can't state enough, uh, just his choice of his, his core changes to me, just are mind blowing to me because it's just, um, it's just not like, uh, it, it's like, where did these come from? You know, um, uh, let's listen to the song feel. You feel me away far too empty. Oh, so alone. I want to come home. Oh, find me inside of a nocturne, the blonde. How I love you to be by my side. They wail the crab on her side. She straggled a bridge by the water. She misses her crawl. Molly grew heady aside in a dell. Inside an I know one other artist we didn't mention who uh, I'm a big fan of, and I know a lot of listeners are, Guided by Voices, Robert Pollard's oh, yeah. got to be a huge Sid fan, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you you listen to, I mean, that's another person who just, what what he and GBV did with chords over the years. Yes, yeah, yeah. Though we push to slay the days, this is not reality, this is just formality, the cup and particularly in little bite-sized bits, right? Like a, a typical Bob Pollard song is like, what, a minute 35 or something, you know? I mean, like, it, it just strikes me that Sid is offering you a bit of a capsule here, and that's that's what Pollard did too, you know? Like yes, just enough yeah. to get you interested and then move along. Um, so here's an interesting thing about this song. When you listen... 
at the beginning and the end of the track, you hear Gilmore say, feel, take one. Uh, and then by the time you get to the end of the track, Sid says very clearly, uh, that one was called Diamond, actually. Oh. And so, and, and, and the Floyd clearly understood that because what did they name the song that's most associated with Sid much later? Shine on you, Colby Diamond, which weirdly he popped up at Abbey Road not knowing their recording schedule and said he wanted to do his bit and they didn't recognize him because he had gained so much weight, probably because he was on behavioral meds at that point, which wouldn't surprisingly make somebody gain weight. So this this song pisses me off because I listen to it and I, I see the word play in particular is just beautiful, right? Like what is a gasp shringing? What is it? What even is that? Right. You know, and so... So there's there's beautiful wordplay happening here, and the guys that he escaped by leaving the band are the ones naming his song, telling him how long it should be. Right, it right. just feels it feels kind of abusive, like bullying. That's to me. The, I don't yeah, like well, it. that's the exploitative part that we uh, that we were talking about at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. And the next one really pisses me off. If, if this <laughs> I remember you if said that. Me, boy, I'm telling you, if it's in you, I. I hate the shit out of this song. I I wish it didn't exist, but it really? does, and we need to talk about it. It, it does. I mean, yeah. All right. See me. All right. Let's listen to it, and then we'll discuss it if it's in you. Yes, I'm thinking. Yes, I'm thinking. Look, uh, you know, I I start again. I'll start again. It's no, it's just the fact, you know, of going through it. I mean, if you, if we could cut. <clears throat> yes, I'm thinking of this. Yes, I am. Puddle Town Tom was the underground. Hold you tight to so close, yes you are. Please hold on to the steel rail. Colonel with gloves, Strauss leeches. Okay, yeah, it, it is, and and I'm gonna leave. I, I I leave the whole beginning part in there because there's there's no reason to have that all there and to put it in there except to say, oh, okay, here's Sid losing it. You know, this is what we're working with, and that, and and there's there's no reason for it. And for people that supposedly your friend and cared about you, that's uh, that's almost inexcusable. Yeah, it's it's just like I said, it's abusive. You know, it just feels like there's some psychological torture going on. And the thing that is most frustrating, and this is what I was telling you before, because if I had my way and I could go back and sort of reorder the album or, or I could add and subtract tracks, there are two songs. One is called Opal um, and the other one is called Silas Lang, which I think now is, is probably better known as Swan Lee. Those tracks were done. They were finished, they were at the board, they were already produced, and they're beautiful tracks, and they're contemporaneous with this material. So they they were in the consideration set and didn't make it in. And so when I think of Gilmore and Waters saying, oh, let's just jam that one in, as opposed to a track like Opal, which is just beautiful and says a lot more about who Sid was a, as an artist, it, it pisses me off and it, and it frankly makes me very suspicious of what their motives were because like you say it feels like 
there's some weird oh let's expose him kind of game that's being played and you know he he didn't even get to mix his own records so he didn't hear it until it was literally delivered to him as it was being delivered to record stores uh, that's a crime yeah I think. it is it is and that's uh yeah that's uh, exploitation for sure and and also the sad thing to me is it sounds like he it's something he needed to work on more that would have actually ended up being a, a really cool kind of a cool song and everything but he just wasn't you know he he he, he was still working it out uh, exactly i mean if you gave him another week and weren't trying to hustle him in and out of abbey road studio three to just mash the song on the tape and get it done could have been really cool but yeah. it's not agreed all right. What do you think about the what they did put for the closer though? Because it's a it, it's a beautiful, sadly beautiful closer. I think I I love this track, and part of the reason I love it is that Gilmore and Waters had nothing to do with it. Yes. This is, <laughs> uh, this is, this is Malcolm Jones, and it was one of the very first tracks uh, that Sid recorded with him, and the guitar effect on it is one that he had from the Pink Floyd. You know, he used a, a cigarette lighter as a, a guitar slide. Oh, okay. Um, long before people were even thinking of doing crazy experimental things like that. And right. so that's, that when you play the track, you'll hear it, but that's that glissandi uh, kind of sound that you hear over the top is uh, Sid overdubbing, um, you know, his own, song with electric guitar played with his cigarette lighter nice uh, yeah and and i just love the way he sings this he sings it uh like like someone uh, desperately you just feel like he's really expressing very real feelings of of loss and and like longing and uh it, it is pretty beautiful let's listen to final track late night When I woke up today And you weren't there to play Then I wanted to be with you When you showed me your eyes Whispered low of the skies Then I wanted to stay with you Inside me I feel Still at night, seeing stars high in light Then I wanted to be with you When the rooftops shone dark All alone saw a spark Spark of love just to stay with you Inside me I feel Alone and unreal And the way you kiss will I love it. I mean, you know, look, the song's meaning is pretty clear. I mean, you know, she's gone. He's upset about it. Right. He regrets losing her. It hurts the end. You know, like that's that's the song. Yes. Yeah. But um, but, you know, I, I think a lot about Sid's um, the life he was leading up until he recorded this. And then what happened afterward? I mean, he had this parade of absolutely beautiful girlfriends. You know, he was clearly like a very desirable figure, you know, in Swinging London or the London Underground. At that point, he never married, never really had a serious girlfriend after this album and, and Barrett were completed. There was one girlfriend that he was with uh, while both albums were happening, and then she left. And, you know, for all intents and purposes, Sid kind of disappeared back to Cambridge. He lived with his mother 
uh, I told you this story in mail. I mean, I, I went long after he was gone and uh, I, we were in Cambridge on vacation and I oh, went yeah, to the street funny. where he had lived uh, and walked down the street. So I, I saw his house, which was bought by some French couple that had no idea that that's what they were buying. And when they were emptying out the house of all of its belongings, uh, the neighbors sort of filled them in and they had this very weird sort of yard sale in which like, you know, fans came and like bought his toilet and things like that. And just very, very strange. And, you know, frankly, you know, kind of like um, vampirish in a way, you know, it, it tells you a lot about like the future uh, of fame. And so I, I hear this song and I think about Sid waving goodbye, not just to a relationship, but a little bit to everyone who had known him. He's about to go. Right. That's right, what this right. is like. Yeah. Oh man. Heavy shit. Uh, but but really great record, and uh, I, yeah, I'm really glad you brought this record. Not something I would have, you know, automatically thought to do, and uh, yeah, it was really great. And you brought a lot of great insights, so I appreciate it, Corey. You were a great guest. Who knew? See, sometimes I think when sometimes when people seem a little too, uh, you know, they they have a lot of ideas and send it. Sometimes that 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 means trouble. You know, they're going to be a pain in the ass. But you weren't a pain in the ass. You were a great guest. <laughs> you brought the good. I strive for is not pain in the ass. Yeah, no, no, you yeah. did. You you nailed it. No, no, it was really, it was great. Um, so what's going on? So you have a radio show now that you're doing? I do have a radio show that I'm doing. One of the side benefits of the pandemic is that I've traveled the least in my adult life. Like I'd have to go back to, I don't know, being at university to have traveled less than this. And so oh, okay. San, Francisco, San Francisco has an amazing community radio station called KXSF uh, on the FM dial, 102.5 if you're in the city and KXSF.FM if you're not. And I have a show every other Thursday called BYOB, Bring Your Own Beats, and it's three hours of literally everything with the kitchen sink thrown in, and it's been great, great fun, including being able to play Sid Barrett on the radio, which is hilarious. Oh, nice. Indeed. Rob, thanks for... Uh, Thanks for having me on, and uh, you know, hopefully, I wasn't a pain enough in the ass that uh, I can come back at some point. No, I'm a, absolutely. I'm a no, no, really, you were great, and it was a great record, and uh, I appreciate it. Don't forget, guys, uh, Instagram and Facebook. It's at that record got me high. Also, that Facebook group got me high. You could join it now. I'm getting a lot of new members of that Facebook group. Got me high. It's a lot of fun. Uh, you can email me at trgmh33 at gmail.com. And if you want to become a patron of the show, do it. Just become do a it. patron. Come on. If you, if you listen it. if you listen every week, definitely you should. Uh, go to you There is no excuse. Put some zeros behind it, by the way. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, what? every little helps. But it's great just because I feel, you know, anyone that, that that's a patron, you're sort of in the little inner, that, that record got me high club, you know, which I don't know what that means, but whatever. It's uh, <laughs> patreon.com forward slash TRGMH, and you could do it. And if nothing else, uh, whatever you listen to us on, subscribe and share it to your friends, to your like-minded uh, old, old people, you know, who remember this stuff that we listen to and enjoy it. Corey, once again, thanks. You were a great guest, honestly. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. We are out of here. I'm trying. I'm trying. To find you. To find.
Thank you.